Hi, everyone. This is Ben Guest, and welcome to part two of my interview with three-time NBA champ Scott Williams. In this interview, Scott talks about why Allen Iverson was his least favorite teammate of all time and compares Iverson's approach to the professional game as a 20-year-old to LeBron James' approach to the game as a 20-year-old. Scott is a big fan of LeBron and talks about what LeBron has done on and off the court. He shares a great Dean Smith story that ends with run them till they drop and how Shaq once taught high schoolers the art of shooting free throws. If you enjoy the content, please like, rate, and review, and you can find all of my work at benbow.substack.com. Here's part two with Scott Williams. So we mentioned some of your first ballot Hall of Famer teammates earlier. And off air, you mentioned that Allen Iverson was your least favorite teammate of all time. <laughs> what uh, Take us behind the scenes of playing with AI. Well, I had AI when he was young. And he was a brash young rookie looking to make a name for himself and put that in front of the team. And that was the, that was the difficult part from a guy like me that had come from North Carolina that had played on championship teams with the Bulls. Uh, there's one thing about wanting to be aggressive and, domi- and, and, and dominant and establish yourself in the league. Uh, and, I, and I don't think you get to that level in the NBA if you don't have some of that in you. But the problem is basketball is a team sport. And, and when you let that become greater than the success of the, of the franchise or the team, I got a problem with that. Not everybody does, but I had a problem with that. Um, that's not the way I played basketball. There's sacrifices, I think, that you make inside your own game for the betterment of the team's success. Now you work on some of those things to be better. You hope the coaches recognize that and they put you in these roles where you can expand your game as time goes on. And that's important. Um, And I think that Braun James had that. He realized he wasn't a great outside shooter early in his career, but he didn't go out there and start chucking up a bunch of shots, uh, trying to work on his game in practice to show people that he could shoot the ball from the outside. Uh, and I think that's he worked on that stuff in the summertime, added aspects of shooting, ball handling. Uh, I always think he had a basketball IQ, but even that improved court vision, being able to pass the basketball, all those types of things. I think he added to his game as he became a better pro where I didn't get that sense with Iverson. Didn't matter if he was shooting 38 percent from the field. He only cared about getting 30 shots. Uh, well, <laughs> Hell, you give me freaking 25 shots, I'm going to score 20 points a game too. It, but it wasn't my, wasn't my role. Let me shoot 35% from the field. Let me shoot 28% from three-point range. That's not good for anybody, right? I mean, good for me. I, I, maybe I become a, an NBA all-star, get some recognition. But that's not going to be good for the overall t- success of the team. So when you're winning 18, 24 games, you get somebody coming in here, all of a sudden that they want to do is try to get two and a half or three steals a game, but they're getting beat on six other plays where you're either picking up fouls or you're giving up easy scores. And all of a sudden we're down 12, 12 at the half. That doesn't work for me. And that was my biggest problem with him when he was a young player, I think, and I'll give him credit. I think he understood that later after he hadn't had some of his success, 
uh, nationally or internationally, however you want to call it. And I think some guys that played with him later on got to see a different side of him. Uh, I didn't. And I would have thought that that was a fundamental that everybody would have learned early on in the sport of basketball. Uh, not everybody was coached by Dean Smith. Hell, even my high school coach taught me that no player was bigger than the overall team success. I didn't, I think I made an average 19.8 point. I didn't even average 20 points in high school, but we won the state championship my senior year because everybody had a role about ball movement, not caring who scored 25 points. It was just about, did we win 31 games? You know, did we win the state championship? That was, those were the goals. You know, it wasn't about individual numbers. My best friend, guy named Ray Harp, who's a basketball coach. We have a long-standing debate about Iverson. I've never thought he was a, a great player or contributed to winning. I think that that one finals run they had um, really overshadows the rest of his career in that I think he only made the play, his teams only made the playoffs um, half, half of the number of seasons he played. I think he only played 14 seasons, which is one fewer than, than you played. And which speaks to your value as a teammate. And at the end, I don't know that, that he sort of got the idea of team play. I remember I lived in Mississippi for years and he was with the Grizzlies for a couple games and he refused to come off the bench. And then eventually they just released him. And then his last couple of games, he, he signed with the 76ers. And I was uh, listening to writer Jeff Perlman's podcast the other day. And he was interviewing a reporter who'd been covering the 76ers that year. And she was saying that Iverson's first game back, like the city is, you know, he's back with Philadelphia. It's probably going to be his last season. And he's, you know, like he didn't even show up or he showed up three hours late or something. So I don't know, you know, I mean, everybody has their own struggles and, and their own things they're dealing with. Um, but at the same time, I kind of wondering, I, I wonder how much of Iverson's popularity had to do with marketing and, and that one finals run, um, rather than understanding if you shoot 35% or if you gamble for steals, you're not really helping the team. Then you just said it better than I could add. <laughs> I, there's not much more I could add. I can add to that. I mean, the commitment of uh, the overall success of the team, and it starts, I think it starts at the top, being accountable to the team, showing up on time for practice. <laughs> not only just showing up on time for practice, how about actually practicing? not sitting on the sideline talking shit while the rest of us are out there busting our, you know, behinds. Um, that right there sets a tone for how the overall team success is going to be. I can't count the number of times he and Derek Coleman uh, would do that. Uh, that ain't going to work. You know, you want to, you know, sit out of practice or not show up at all. Then if you do, you ride, the, you ride in a stationary bike like my grandma would. And then yell at guys for, for missing a shot or turning the ball over from the sideline. You're like, it's just a surreal situation. You're like, what is going on? To me, it was like, what is going on here? It was such a disappointment. It made the games for me miserable. Having to go to the arena in Philadelphia was miserable. I remember I used to listen to this Annie Lennox CD on the way to the game to try to get my mind right to make it through these next four hours of this experience, which I knew was going to be absolutely horrible playing on a team with those guys. So with those guys, they did not care about the team. 
And that was the problem. Uh, when, I, when they traded me to Milwaukee, I was so burnt on basketball. It was a breath of fresh air. I was thinking I was going into my, my eighth season, so seventh or eighth season, eighth season. And thank God, because I could not have made it much longer under those situations. It rejuvenated my spirit and my love for the game I've, I was able to rekindle. Kind of you contrast that, right? You have the superstar on the team, on the stationary bike, not practicing. Of course, Iverson had that famous, prep, we're talking about practice rant, but your first <laughs> three, three years in the league, you're playing with Michael Jordan. Your locker is literally next to Michael Jordan. So you're seeing the exact opposite when the best player on the team, the best player in the league sets the tone, right? Yeah, uh, it, and that's it. And it's hard to go backwards from that. I mean, there's, listen, no, no one's got the gear MJ had. It, it just, I don't know what, what possessed him to have that gear growing up. Um, I think maybe he's battling his older brothers or something, who knows, but uh, work ethic from his father. I'm unsure of mother, I don't know. But um, you can't go from, from that to what was displayed in Philadelphia. That, that doesn't work. And that, was, that, that wouldn't work at, at, any, at any level. And when I was playing for Larry Brown, who's a Carolina guy, um, and I'm just going to leave it at that, he understood that he had to work with Iverson, maybe give him a little bit more leash or latitude than what he was probably accustomed to. Uh, and I don't know if at the end of the day, early on, that was a good thing. Um, I think he just created more of, a, of the problem that was already there and just got bigger. It didn't, it didn't stay the same or get smaller. Uh, it got bigger to the point where, you know, all of a sudden now Larry's out because Larry can't take it. Larry can't take it anymore after, after it's, it's gotten out of control. And as you kind of alluded to earlier, your career was bookended years one through three and year 15 with Michael Jordan in his prime and LeBron James right on the cusp of his prime. And 16 years later, LeBron James is still playing at the highest level. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, the, the guy uh, is phenomenal. Take the way he, one, takes care of his body, uh, being able to play in that many postseasons as hard in minutes and as hard as he plays and as as physical as people try to be with him individually and double teaming him. And not always, now he's got better supporting casts than he had on some of those Cleveland Cavalier teams. But, you know, in Miami, Miami Los Angeles, he's, he's had some studs around him. Um, but he still gets beat up. He still plays, you know, late in June or, or now even later, the way that COVID has affected the scheduling. But to take care of his body and and then still do all of the off the courts things that I think are really good. The school that he has in Akron, um, the way he is civic minded, 
politically and outspoken about injustice uh, and about what's you know what is the need for fairness and equality. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in trust. I'm not in contact with him anymore, but I'm a fan. Uh, and I, I liked when I was a teammate, I was 37 going on, going to be 37. The kid was, I think 19 turning 20. Uh, so we, again, we didn't hang out a lot, uh, off the court, uh, but on the team planes, I always remember him coming to me and asking me about guys that I either played with or competed against. And that was something that I always kind of hold on to that he was at a thirst for knowledge of the way Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson thought and talked about basketball. Uh, he took pieces from, from everybody over the years. I'm sure Pat Riley down in Miami, the guys that he played with there as well. And um, it's just made him uh, a, a superstar among among the game's greats and to have the talk about him being the greatest of all time if you would have told me when I was sitting on that plane we'd be having a discussion whether or not he was the greatest of all time I would just laugh in your face and think yeah no no way you know uh because he was still working on his outside shot at the time you know but he has just continued to put in that effort. I bumped into him in Charlotte, of all places, in the summertime. He was there to watch one of his kids in an AAU basketball tournament, you know, and he was coming out of the gym looking like freaking The Rock. You know, he had been working out with this uh, guy that he had uh, rented out the uh, entire health club down at the, at, the, at the hotel. And you're just like, you got to do a double take. Like, dude is big, and it's, you know, it's August. <laughs> he's already in full sweat and, but that's the commitment uh that he has put in over the years to make him one of the game's greats when you were on the plane what and he's asking you about michael jordan scotty pippen or other players what what is he asking you know i, I think it's it, you know he's got the highlights he watched he watched a ton of film on those guys um I think it was mentality. What were they like in practice? Me telling you the story about the way Michael Jordan competed, the way he would go at Dennis Hobson, almost to the point where it was unfair to Dennis Hobson. It was unfair to anybody they would have put in front of him. Um, that type of mentality that he had, um, way they was always the first to show up, um, the last to leave, to play one-on-one -on -one with Scott Williams, a walk-on guy, you know, after practice because he wanted to develop a, uh, his post play uh, so he wouldn't get pushed around so much down by the Detroit Pistons and, and learn how to play against bigger, stronger, taller guys and still be effective down on the block with his back to the basket. All those types of things I, I was happy to share with the young kid. <laughs> Not so young anymore. <laughs> Did you say, I think he's going to be creeping up on about 40 years old, maybe uh, 38 or 40 years old. Okay, last two questions. Who was your favorite teammate of all time? Oh, that's that's such a tough question. Um, all my teammates were like brothers to me, so it's asked. It's kind of like asking who's your favorite sibling, you know. And I think as you get older, maybe you have more some that you're closer to, uh, but it doesn't diminish any of my of my relationships with any of my teammates. I know we got to my Chicago Bulls days. I think running around with those guys was was probably some of the funnest times that I that I had, uh, for sure. You know, when I was in college, my my teammate and roommate Jeff Denny and I 
were like brothers. His mother and his father, after I lost my parents, had me over for the holidays in the summertime. We went on the lake in the summertime. We played golf in the summertime. I don't think there's anybody I've ever been closer to uh, as far as a, as a teammate. We're still tight today. Um, you know, my time in, in, in the pros with, um, and I, did I mention his name, Jeff Denny? I want to make sure we, I put that on the podcast. You know, Denny, uh, Mrs., Mr. and Mrs. Denny, Sue and Herm, Big Herm. Uh, you know, they, they were like, you know, my second parents as well. You know, they, they looked out for me. Mrs. Denny would bring us food and she, she, she'd clean the apartment and uh, scrub my tub, you know, do the laundry. So got to put much respect. Herm has passed on, but Mrs. Denny's still, uh, still out there at, uh, in, uh, Rule Hall, North Carolina. So big shout out to Rule Hall and Mrs. Denny, um, in Chicago, I used to hang with you know Stacy King and and uh, and I would would kind of run the streets and and get into some of Walter Payton's nightclubs and some of the clubs in Schaumburg and and have some fun, break some bread, and have some pops on the road. We I remember him taking me as a rookie to Prince's Club in Minneapolis. You know, my first year in the league and trying to shake my 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 big six ten ass on the dance floor to Prince's jams. You know that. Those are special moments that you'll that you'll never for uh, at least I'll never forget. So, you know, Stacy and JD and uh, and and even in Milwaukee playing golf with Ray Allen, a group we take to Cabo and uh, in the off season and, and and go down there for a week around Father's Day and play thirty six holes of golf and get out on the water and uh, and drink the margaritas. You know, those were well, Ray didn't drink, but I <laughs> I certainly had enough margaritas for the both of us to play with him, uh, to get to know him and Shannon, his wife, uh, on special trips. Hell, he, he helped teach my, my son, Benjamin, who's actually turning 20 tomorrow, I can't believe time flies, how to swim, you know, on vacation in the summertime. So uh, special moments with those guys off the, off the, off the, off the uh, court, I think are probably even more special to me than on it. Like even, even uh, Stefan Marbury, uh, when I was in Los, uh, with the sons in Los Angeles, wanted the night out in Beverly Hills uh, with my wife, watched my kid, you know, like maybe that wasn't such a smart move on my part, parental part, <laughs> parenting, but, you know, Steph was cool. He was there with his wife and their young child and said, yeah, why don't you guys go out and, and hit Beverly Hills up and, and we'll take care of Benjamin. So, you know, that was, those are the kind of things that you remember in your teammates. And I remember a great time with Jake Sokolita in Boston, uh, you know, night after Thanksgiving. So it, it was just so many wonderful moments uh, that I've had with guys in and around the league, whether it be college or with pro. Hard to say who was my favorite teammate to hang out with. Um, even Shaquille O'Neal, who I did not play with, who was with the Suns when I did television, um, on the team planes, laughing and joking with him. Great guy to break the Bread with doesn't again another guy that that doesn't uh, do alcohol. Grand Hill and um, doing play dates with his daughter Myla and my son Benjamin in the same the same school in the same class going to Chuck E. Cheese uh, and just little things like that. Just make he's a Duke guy and uh, I loved hanging out with him too. So very special moments um, you know in and around the league having a lot of fun with a bunch of different cats you know from 
from all walks of life, from the Russians to the guys that grew up in the, in the Midwest or down South or the East Coast, it didn't matter. Uh, if you were a good dude and you were about putting in that work uh, and about having some fun, uh, you were my buddy. Shaq sounds like a, a good guy. Can you share uh, an interesting or funny Shaq story? Yeah, Shaq was a great dude, man. I tell you what, um, we had a lot of, lot of fun uh, off the court. Uh, I got to clarify one thing, though. I was never a teammate of Shaq's. Like, we were never on the same team. When I was doing uh, television for the Phoenix Suns, he was playing for the Suns. He came out to Phoenix, so he was going to bring a title to the Valley, nicknamed himself the Big Cactus. Uh, you know, just, just a lot of fun right from the very beginning. So he enrolled his kids in the same school that Grant Hill's kids and my kids were going to. So they had a big fundraiser. It's a private school called um, Phoenix Country Day. And they had a big fundraiser to raise money for kids to put, give scholarships to, to other kids and stuff. So Shaq, myself, and Grant, we decided we were going to raffle off a basketball camp for some of the kids. Like the parents would pay, and then their kids would go to a camp that Shaq and I um, and Grant were going to put on at the school. And... So we were, you know, talking about, okay, how are we going to do this? Okay, you know, Grant, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do kind of like a little defensive positioning and, and uh, rebound station. And Grant's like, okay, this is great. I'll work on some ball handling, some passing techniques. And Shaq's like, okay, I'll have a free throw station. I'll teach the kids how to shoot free throws. <laughs> Grant, Grant and I just looked at each other and just bust out laughing. And we thought, you know what? That sounds perfect. And so that's what we did. We had the, the different groups, the different baskets, and they would rotate around. And Shaq would be giving out the free throw uh, tips and instructing the kids on how to shoot free throws. I mean, that's just kind of the guy that he was. Not afraid to be silly and funny and poke fun at himself. In fact, I got a great, uh, great picture of, of uh, my son was in, in the camp. It's, of course, uh, Grant's kids, too, and Shaq's. And uh, I got a great picture of, of Shaq teaching these kids the fundamentals of uh, free throw shooting, the art of free throw shooting. I love it. Would you and Grant Hill go back and forth, him being a Duke guy and you a UNC guy? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think he had, he had brainwashed his daughter, Myla, uh, to be a Duke fan early on. And we're talking, you know, third, fourth graders now at the time. Um, and I had to obviously brainwash my kids to be Tar Heels and uh, North Carolina fans. So, Whenever the Tar Heels and and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, the Blue, Blue Devils, Devils. <laughs> would play each other, uh, the couple of days before the game, there was always a text message string going back and forth, like y'all ain't ready for this smoke. So God forbid if if uh, we lost to Duke, I knew I was going to hear about it drop off the next day. <laughs> and the last thing I was going to ask you, I think I know the answer to this is who is your favorite coach of all time? And if I'm correct with the answer, I think, can you share that story that you shared off air about um, Coach Smith kind of taking the heat publicly? But if you guys, you guys had messed up and, and he had to do a TV date and he, uh, the, instructions, <laughs> the instruction he gave to Coach Guthridge. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, obviously, you know, Coach Smith, uh, above and beyond, um, basketball was, was my favorite coach, the way he prepared us for life. Uh, some of the things that maybe I'll share with, with your listeners is that 
coach cared about us more as players than he did. Uh, excuse me, more as people than he did as players. So I messed that up. But, uh, but anyway, we'd always have on a practice plan that told us what we were going to do every minute and for how long of practice, whether it was, you know, the, the layup line, the two on three, a two on one fast breaks, uh, three on twos, whatever. It was all scripted down to the minute. But at the top of that practice plan, there was a offensive emphasis of the day that we would have to memorize. It might be something like make the extra pass on offense. The defensive emphasis might be um, make sure you get your hands up on defense. It was always something little every day that you'd have to remember. But most importantly on that was a thought for the day. And the thought for the day never had to do with basketball. It had to do with life. It was taken from uh, politicians, from artists, from athletes. Um, but it had to do with making us more well-rounded individuals. It might be something like if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. It might be some, something from Martin Luther King that might say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth just leaves everybody blind and toothless. So, and he would call on us prior to the start of practice and ask each player, you know, ask a player, what was the offensive emphasis of the day? You'd have to recite it. What was the thought for the day? You'd have to recite that. And if you didn't recite it correctly, he'd send everybody to the baseline and we'd have to run sprints. <laughs> and then he'd call us back in and then ask you again, what was the thought for the day? And you better get it right the second time. You might get a chance to mess up once a season. You messed up more than that. Hell, we, as the seniors ran the programs and made the rules, we'd come down on you hard enough that you'd never forget it twice. J.R. Reed, well, I tell you, sometimes he's a little shaky with that thought for the day sometimes. That's right, Jay, I'm calling you out. Uh, but uh, for the most part, we always had some fun with it. Everybody always remembered it. But reason why I love Coach Smith, because Coach Smith was competitive as all get out. And there was a few times where, you know, as Carolina, we have, you know, we have some, some days where we just didn't play as particularly well as we wanted to. And Coach Smith always took the heat uh, in the press if we hadn't performed the way that uh, we, we should have, if we had lost a game that we probably shouldn't have. He always took responsibility for those losses. And he always heaped the praise on the players for the wins. Now, we as players understood that, yeah, he had us prepared for that freaking 2-3 uh, zone defense. We just didn't attack it very well. We were sloppy with the ball, blah, blah, blah. We turned it over, you know, 18 times or whatever. And, and we got our asses beat. Uh, but he always took the blame for that. that he hadn't prepared us good enough. However, <laughs> publicly, but... In practice the next day, we knew we were going to pay a price on that damn court. Not only we practiced long and hard, there was a day that he had a show to do, and we weren't playing particularly well in practice. And he told Coach Guthridge, put them on the end line and run them till they drop. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I've never been so afraid in my entire life. We ran and we ran and we ran. I couldn't tell you how many, how long we we actually stood just running sprints, down and back, down, back, down, back, six crossings. And there was everything was time. But if you didn't make your time, 
it had to be repeated. And we ran in groups. There was an A group, B group, and a C group. And normally the guards and small forwards were in the A group. You had just some small forwards uh, and a couple of power forwards. JRE ran in the B group. And then C group was myself, the centers, Pete Chilcutt, Marty Hensley, uh, and myself were the C group. And I'll tell you what, that doggone Marty Hensley, he would never towards the middle to the end, he would stop making the time. So it mean the whole group had to repeat the time. So we would also, the guards would be done. They'd be off in the locker room and we'd still be on that floor, floor running. And there was days I just wanted to take a pillow over Marty's face sometimes after we finished our sprints and, and just choke, his, choke him out because he was making me have to run extra sprints. But um, we, we made it through it. Uh, and it made us stronger for it, I guess. That, uh, that, that, one, that one there, that one always hurt my heart when Coach Smith would say that, run them until they drop. And thank God Marty would be the first one to drop. <laughs> so Marty would be the slowest, but he'd also be the first one to drop most, out. Most, like, most likely to pass out or to throw up. And either one worked for me. <laughs> yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you for taking the time. Um, please tell everybody where they can find you. Well, right now I am at uh, Grand Canyon University. I am for the men's and women's analyst for the basketball program, which I've enjoyed that. They've had uh, just a tremendous amount of success in those six years that I've been there. They've gone from division one to division two. Um, Dan Marley was kind of oversaw a bulk of that transition. Uh, last year, they brought in Bryce Drew to be the head coach. Uh, and he guided them to their first ever WAC championship and NC2A tournament berth. And we got a chance to go to the big dance. I was very happy for the program. And bigger and better things are, are to come. The, the university is just exploding uh, with their sports. They got one of the best baseball teams uh, in the country, always ranked nationally. The women's program uh, is really coming up as well. They led the, I think they led the, the, the nation last year in, in, in field goal percentage, defense, and steals. So they, they really get after it as well. So calling those games with my buddy Barry Butel and Kate Longworth does the pre and post game and the sideline reporter for us. Uh, we have a blast. So you can find me there on a grand campus uni uh, uni at university uh, throughout the basketball season. And I kind of have, have made my home during the, uh, the COVID lockdown here in Austin, Texas. Um, and uh, kind of getting to know a little bit about this city here in Austin. So if you can find me in, uh, in Phoenix or in Austin, come on over and let's have a beer. Nice. And uh, as far as social media? Uh, I am at, at ScottWill42 and on Instagram, same, at ScottWill, W-I-L-L-42. So kind of uh, Scott Williams is such a popular name. I couldn't get that. <laughs> and any variations of that was very difficult. Uh, so I've always prided myself on, my, on willpower. So it's kind of a play on, they called me Big Will um, in college. So a lot of guys call me Will. So I figured I'll combine two of my names, Scott and Will, short for Williams, of course and my old jersey number uh, from North Carolina, most of the places I played was number 42. So throwing those two in there, I knew I could finally get <laughs> uh, something that nobody else had. So Scott Will 42 is easy to find me on, on most platforms. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Anytime, Ben. 
that was my interview with three-time NBA champion Scott Williams. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter and podcast there. I post or release an episode once a week interviewing people from different areas of life in the worlds of creativity, education, leadership, sports. And also I post updates about the book I'm working on, which is about meditation and coaching basketball. Have a great day.